The name Vigo Bogachas probably doesn't mean much to many of you, but I bet a lot of you have seen some of his work. Check this out. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat. Champion, the youngster, is inexperienced, he fell on his first jump. A lot of speed in that track. Look at him, look at him go! Oh, well, baby, indeed. Vinko Bogachas was from Yugoslavia. He was taking part in the 1970 Ski Flying World Championships. They were held that year in West Germany. He took a tumble. He flew violently, it seems, off the side of the ramp. He did suffer a mild concussion, but other than that, he was just fine. Now, his crash may have been forgotten, except for the fact that there on that day in West Germany was a film crew from the ABC Wide World of Sports. They would use that footage to open up their weekly sports show, replaying that now infamous blunder as host Jim McKay would declare and narrate the phrase, the agony of defeat. The phrase became very well known in the United States, but Vinko, living in Yugoslavia, had no idea that people all over the world were indeed, in fact, watching his fall. He went back to his career as a forklift driver in a warehouse, but his fall became associated with the line, the phrase, the agony of defeat. But here's what most of us don't know. It all started when that snow came falling down on that cold winter's day, and the ramp had become incredibly slick. In fact, to, today, by our standards now, the, uh, the, the, the jump would have been called off. It was too violent, too scary, too threatening. And so as Vinko got about a third of the way down the ramp, he realized that he was going way too fast, that he was in big-time danger of totally overshooting the landing area, and that could be fatal. So he made the tough decision, on the fly no less, to abort the jump. Now, what viewers didn't realize is that Vinko choose to fall rather than complete the dangerous jump, and people say that probably saved his life. We view him as the poor victim of the agony of defeat, but in reality, he chose to make a decision that honestly seemed to defy logic. It certainly went against the grain of how things would be done. I share that because, friends, in our scripture this morning, we see how Jesus challenges the disciples to do something that goes against the grain of their understanding. So we're going to go to the Gospel of John, something that happened, a, a story, a narrative, a scenario that took place after Easter. So last week, Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection. But what took place after that? Well, friends, here's part of that story. Our scripture this morning from the Gospel of John, it takes us to the Sea of Galilee. That's where many of the disciples were from. And so on this day in the scripture, the disciples are fishing. Again, not so uncommon. That's what many of them did. They were fishermen before they followed Jesus' invitation to be his followers and his disciples. Now, uh, many uh, sermons, many pastors, many blogs, they're, they're somewhat critical 
of the disciples. After all, they, they witnessed something incredible with uh, uh, the, the teachings and the preachings and the miracles of Jesus. But now Jesus has been killed, laid in a tomb. Uh, yeah, they've heard he's uh, risen from the dead. But, uh, but now what? They, uh, they, they now find themselves back into their old pattern. So uh, did they head back home because they wanted to return to their old life? Uh, some say so. I, I say no. Jesus was no longer with them, so did the disciples feel conflicted and confused and they didn't know what to do, so they simply chose to return to their old way of life? Well, some say so, but I say no. Had they forgotten about their amazing calls into mission and ministry? Did they simply decide to return home with their tail between their legs because things now were so unsettling and confusing? Uh, Some would say so, uh, but again, I would would declare no. I don't think that's what's going on here at all. In fact, I think that they were being trusting. They were being obedient to the promises, the calls, the commands, and the assurance of Jesus. How so? Well, let's go to Matthew 28:10. Jesus said this to his disciples, "Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee." And there they will see me. So uh, Jesus had instructed them to go back to Galilee. It makes sense, honestly, that they would do what they knew how to do. They would fish as they waited for Jesus to return to them. So, so I think they were being faithful. They were being obedient to Jesus. But they certainly didn't, I don't think, expect him to come so quickly. So let's go to the Gospel of John. We're going to pick it up in verse 2 and 3. Simon Peter... Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, they were the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, okay, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. We'll pick up the story in a matter of mere moments. So here's the deal, they're in the boat fishing at night. A lot of fishing in Galilee was done at night. Some say the fishing was better at night, but it also allowed them by fishing at night to come back to the shore and prepare the fish for sale in the morning when people were looking for it. We, we think of fishing as kind of a, you know, with a, a rod and a reel, but they would cast these massively large nets. The, the nets were made of rope woven from a heavy thread. They had these weights attached to the edges of the net and it would drag it down into the deep waters trapping the fish. They would pull in the nets. The fish would be ensnared in them. So let's pick up the story again. Verse 4. Early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Now verse 8 later will tell us that they were about a hundred yards from the shore and they certainly wouldn't have recognized Jesus in that distance. And truthfully, they really weren't expecting him. They weren't looking for him in that moment. I share that because I think, like the disciples, I'm guilty of that at times. Maybe it's just a Joe thing. Maybe none of you can relate at all. But there are times I just don't look for Jesus. There are times I I don't expect to see him. I'm surprised when when maybe it seems that he does show up. I I don't have maybe at times a sense of expectation that Jesus is going to do something mighty in my midst. 
I think that's where the disciples were that morning. But you know what? Something amazing was about to happen. With the disciples that night, Jesus was about to do something miraculous, but also focusing on the fact that he was still with them. Let's check out verse 5 and verse 6. Jesus called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? Uh, No, they answered. Jesus says, Throw your net onto the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Wow, I mean, whoa, that's, that's pretty surprising, isn't it? They went from catching nada to catching mucho, catching nothing, to, to catching a lot of stuff. So much so that all of these strong, burly, seasoned fishermen were unable to haul in the nets. What was the difference? Well, Truly, they followed the direction of the Lord. They responded to what Jesus had called them to do and what Jesus had commanded them to do in the eyes of the world. Honestly, was pretty illogical. It was irrational. It seemed to make absolutely no sense. Throw your net onto the right side of the boat. You see, the disciples weren't out there in a modern 21-foot bass fishing boat with maybe a a 250-horsepower outboard engine. Uh, No, to the contrary. Let me give you a a brief uh, nautical lesson dating back to uh, uh, the first century. Here's the deal. Bear with me. I promise this is going to make sense. Okay, here we go. Boats, they have a left side. They have a right side. What is the left side called? It's called the port side. What about the right side? It's called the starboard side. Now, back in the first century, fishing boats didn't have a rudder like we think of today. Large ships did, but smaller fishing vessels didn't. But instead, the fishing boats, they had a large specialized steering oar. The oar was held by an oarsman who sat towards the back of the boat. But because most men were right-handed, the steering board, as it was called, was on the right side of the boat. Over time, the term was shortened to starboard, containing the Old English words star, which means steer, and bard, which means the side of the boat. Likewise, the port side of the vessel was so named because that's the side that you would lay up against the port. So uh, these hapless disciples are having a rough morning. They were out all night. They had caught nothing. But Jesus says, throw your, your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. Uh, cast the net from the right side of the boat. That's that, that, that Jesus is not the way things were done. You just didn't do that. It, it doesn't make sense. Uh, you never cast the, uh, the net off to the right side. It was always on the left side. Uh, why? Uh, well, because on the right side, what was there? Uh, the large steering board. You didn't want the net to get tangled or ripped or destroyed. Uh, casting the net off the right side of the boat was just not something a proper fisherman did. It just wasn't done. Such a suggestion would have been seen in the eyes of many as nothing short of scandalous. But they did follow Jesus' call, his command. I think probably fairly reluctantly. Again, Joe can relate to that. 
After all, the disciples may have been thinking, okay, uh, Jesus, with all due respect, okay, uh, you're, you're the Savior, I get that, you're the Messiah, you're the anointed one, you, you rose from the dead, but we're the fishermen. This is our expertise. This is what we know. This is what we've done. We are professional anglers. We know what we're doing. I can handle it, but thank you, Jesus, so much. You see, this is considered a miracle of Jesus. Yeah, all of these fish cramming into the net. But it's not a story of miracles. It's a story of faithfulness. It's the story of obedience. It's the story of trust. Again, maybe it's just a Joe thing. But at times, friends, I'm like that helpless and helpless fisherman. I'm doing my own thing, thinking that I know what's best. I I have my own plans, my own goals, my own desires, my own agenda, and my own way of working toward that agenda. But then along comes Jesus. He challenges me with something that never would have crossed my mind before, something that I certainly am not even nearly intelligent or wise enough or smart enough to think about. Or maybe Jesus comes to call me to do something that I'm currently doing, but but maybe in a different way, or maybe on a different path. Jesus has a way of shaking things up, doesn't he? To the disciples in the fishing boat, they were thinking, ah, sir, we don't cast our nets off the right side of the boat. That's not how we roll. You see, the disciples were focusing on their own knowledge and in the eyes of the world. It was pretty stellar knowledge. Fishermen were well regarded during that era. But sometimes the call of God, at least to us in our limited mental capacities, our limited understanding, doesn't seem at times to make a lot of sense. Certainly not in the eyes of the world, sometimes not even to us. But when we're faithful, when we're trusting, when we respond to God, we see amazing things that we could never, ever see on our own. Is your mindset on things of this world or on the mighty things of God? Uh, For the disciples, their, uh, their nets were empty. Maybe for some of you, it seems like your life may be empty or part of it at least but are you willing to follow Jesus to uh, what I declare is a better way throw uh, throw your net onto the right side of the boat says Jesus and you will be surprised at what happens Uh, but God you know with all due respect I I know my life better than anyone after all I I live it I know myself I know those people and circumstances around me I I don't know how things will turn out if I place all of my trust in you so I'm scared God to step out on faith throw your net on the right side of the boat Okay, in my life, I admit that things are dictated by a schedule, by routine, uh, by my own desires. That's why all of this quarantine and social distancing stuff is pretty unsettling. It's not the norm. It's not what I'm used to. It's not how I thought things would be in the middle of the year 2020. Sometimes it's difficult to follow the plans that God has because we're not quite sure how they're going to turn out. It seems to rock our world, to to really fully remove us from our comfort zone. God has a way of doing that. Throw your net on the right side of the boat. 
Churches often get stuck in this way of thinking too, I, I imagine. Uh, yeah, we, we want to follow Christ. We want other people to come to know God, but, but we don't want to do something risky. We've always done it this way, and, and this way seems to be going okay. Uh, okay, Jesus, you kind of take your stuff over there, but, but, but just trust us. We, we kind of know what we're doing. Throw your net on the right side of the boat. Uh, God, I cannot get past the resentment that I have towards maybe my spouse. I've been hurt too many times, and, and I'm scared that I won't see change, that things will never get better. Throw your net on the right side of the boat. Uh, maybe parts of your life, maybe they're dictated by fear. You worry about something that, that hasn't happened and uh, may never happen, but you're allowing it to steal your joy. Throw your net on the right side of the boat. Maybe uh, you're dictated by anger. Maybe our flesh tells us that when someone makes us angry, we lash out with rage or hostility or bitterness or maybe uh, being passive-aggressive or with the silent treatment or maybe with gossip. But, but God is telling us there's a different way. Throw your net on the right side of the boat. Okay, yeah, God, I know that I'm called to serve you, but, but I don't have the time. I promise later on when things slow down, and I'm pretty certain that they will, that someday soon I'll focus on my relationship with you. But right now I've got other priorities, other irons in the fire. But Jesus says, throw your net on the right side of the boat. Okay, okay God, I know that I'm called to forgive. Yeah, the Bible tells me that just as you have forgiven us. But, but that person over there, they, they really bother me. They really hurt me. They really let me down. I can never forgive that person. It's too out of character for what I'm experiencing. But Jesus says, throw your net on the right side of the boat. Maybe, maybe, friends, in your life, there's a scenario or situation that you just cannot now seem to work through. You've tried everything or seamlessly everything, and things don't seem to change. Throw your net on the right side of the boat. Uh, the instructions of Jesus to his disciples didn't make a lot of sense to them at the time. But my goodness, it wasn't long before they realized that, yeah, we should have placed our trust in him fully a long time ago. It means that when we do that, we release our own ways of doing things. We trust that God is strong enough to back up his promises and his assurances. You see, when we yield to God's will and not our own whims, it's referred to as surrender. Surrender may not seem like a good thing in a, in a battle or in a, a sporting event, for example, but when we surrender to God, we're saying, okay, God, I've tried it, and it just doesn't work. I need you. I depend on you. I will fully place my trust in you to press into your power, your presence in my life. I surrender my whims to your control. It's not about defeat, it's about victory, about embracing the victory that can only come through Christ. Cast your net on the right side of the boat. Jesus has a habit of calling us to things that might seem a bit risky or anxiety-inducing. He's calling us to change, but the good news is, friends, that we're not called to change on our own and in our own strength. To the contrary, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God works within us to bring about the changes that God wants to see in our lives, with our lives, and through our lives.
throw your net on the right side of the boat. At times it may not seem to make worldly sense, but it does to Jesus, and really that's all that matters. I pray that each of us, that, that you and me, that we can be faithful and obedient to those challenges that Jesus may be calling us to follow. Throw your net on the right side of the boat. How will you respond? Most gracious and loving God, we thank you for the ways in which Jesus is calling us to maybe step out of our comfort zone, to do things that maybe we never would have thought or certainly never would have agreed to do on our own. We thank you for the movement and the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit who lovingly guides us and leads us to where we need to be. And Lord God, we know that you will never call us to a place where your grace is not already there, lovingly preparing for our arrival. So God, may your Holy Spirit now reach into every dark corner of our lives, uh, maybe scraping up some residue of hurts and pains and fears or angers that have been there for a long time. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus as the great physician who does heal and tend to our wounds. But Father God, what are those ways in which you're calling us to be uh, more faithful and more obedient and more trusting to what it is that you want to do in our lives and through our lives? May we sense that call. May we respond to that call. We love you, Lord, and we thank you so much for first loving us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.